This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever wish that you had more time in your day? What would you do with an extra hour all to yourself? Would you go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? The possibilities are endless. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, deal with overthinking, alter negative behaviors, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash heartwisdom today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash heartwisdom. Now, one further element as we work with the breath and allow the breathing is that at some time, in its own sweet time, there can come a growing sense of calm and pleasure and joy in the breathing. Not right away, not if you're in the middle of something, you sit and what you feel is what you're in the middle of. But in the training of the breath, over weeks and months of really learning to be with one's breath. Welcome to the Jack Cornfield Heart Wisdom Hour. We are delighted to share with you Jack's innate common sense wisdom and his clear open heart. If you are interested in supporting Jack's podcast, go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Jack. Over the course of a number of weeks and evenings together, the various talks and discussions have ranged on a kind of variety of spiritual topics. Tonight I'd like to speak more formally directed to the sitting meditation that we do, and particularly to speak about the breath. I'm a bit tired tonight, um, just sitting here and feeling that. Uh, I got back late last night from a men's retreat for the last five days, and it was a wonderful retreat. Um, and I realized what a pleasure it is just to sit down and sit. And I'm also extremely happy about Sarajevo, you know, that somehow there's some connection for me, the piece that they're not shelling Sarajevo, which doesn't mean there isn't a lot of the same horrible warfare going on not many miles from there in the rest of Bosnia. But just to have that sense of peace and those images of peace, um, kind of a reminder of how precious it is just to be at peace in oneself. Um, as Thomas Merton said, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything, itself is to succumb to violence. And so part of the practice of spiritual life is to find that place where we step out of the cycle of conflict in our lives and in the world around. 
I'm glad that there's no news from Sarajevo, in a way. The best news. The men's retreat itself was, uh, as they often are, was wonderful. There was the rhythm that we spent of a number of hours of sitting and walking, meditation, but also time for stories in the evenings, sit in a big circle, 60 or 70 or 80 men, and a few would sit in the center. The stories that were told this time included one night, men told the stories of fathers and sons, and all the kinds of things about their fathers or their sons. One night, a group of men sat in the center and told their sexual history out loud. And it was really amazing, both of those nights, because people were so truthful. Um, And there was confusion and regret and pain and all kinds of possibilities and a lot of wounds when people spoke of sons or fathers or the struggle to make relationship sexuality. There were some younger men in the retreat. And as each of the different men spoke, particularly when they spoke of their own earlier years or their relation to their fathers or later on their relation to their own body and life, there was such a desire to be seen, especially as young men, to be acknowledged, to be heard, to be recognized in some way. And part of what made the retreat so beautiful was that mysterious quality of attention or presence, you could call it, of mindfulness that was there in the room where we listened without wanting anything. There was kind of a sense that no one was going to fix anybody. There were, as usual, too many therapists in the room. (laughs) But fortunately, they kept it to themselves, right? (laughs) That nobody was going to try and you know, solve someone else's problems, that we were just going to listen to what it was just to be in each other's presence. So the great Indian mystic poet Kabir writes, Are you looking for me? I'm in the next seat. My shoulder is against yours. And in this men's retreat, we started the walking meditation with men walking in tandem, in pairs. So instead of walking back and forth yourself, you'd pick a partner and you just walk together in silence for an hour. And it was so beautiful to see out under the trees these pairs of men just walking with one another. Are you looking for me? I'm in the next seat. My shoulder is against yours. You will not find me in stupas or Indian shrine rooms, not in synagogues or cathedrals, not in Catholic masses or Hindu kirtans or legs winding around your own neck, nor in eating nothing but vegetables. When you really look for me, you will find me instantly in the tiniest house of time. Kabir says, student, tell me, where is the divine? It is the breath inside the breath. So there was in that room a listening, a quality of presence and attention that was beautiful and healing. One of the most universal ways to discover, to awaken, to train this capacity of presence, of listening, is the breath itself. 
If a child cries and falls and is hurt or frightened, then part of what you can do is pick the child up and hold them and feel their breathing and feel your own breathing and somehow sense their breath and remind them to breathe. Because when you get frightened, what happens? You contract, your breath stops, then the cry comes out. To remind the child to breathe. And it's true for children and grown-ups and people dying. It's very good in hospice work just to breathe with another person, to stay connected. A woman who was a student at these retreats some years ago, older woman who was, whose daughter and grandchildren also had come to these retreats, um, died from lung cancer. She smoked her whole life up to the last few days, actually, when last weeks or anyway. Um, and she had emphysema, and she couldn't breathe very well in the last days. And I talked with her as she was going through that. And she said, you know, I'm so grateful to have learned how to meditate on my breath because my whole life now is very simple. It's just one breath and then waiting to see if I can take another breath. That's my life. So I'm so grateful. The breath, the air, from the Navajo Indian. It was the wind that gave them life. It is the wind that comes out of our mouths now, the same wind that gives us life. When this ceases to blow, we die. In the skin and the tips of our fingers, we see the trail of the wind. It shows us the wind that blew when our ancestors were created that's still blowing today. So the breath, the wind, is really something spirit, inspire, expire, respire, is the movement of spirit, respiration. And its, its quality is the universal quality of movement, of opening and closing, of expansion and contraction, the nature of the kind of river of life that is what's true for us. The moon changes its cycles, the lunar phases. The seasons come, you see all those buds in certain places, the plum blossoms are out and the willows are getting ready to let, let their leaves unfurl and all the little green shoots coming out from under the earth, the spring season, day and night cycles as it does. Our heart beats, opens and closes, it pumps the blood around our body. They're the rhythms of the menstrual cycle of women's bodies and the rhythms of so many, not just the heartbeat, of our lungs, of the peristalsis of our intestine moving, of the cerebrospinal fluid, of the opening and closing of flowers as it gets cold at night, of the stock market. It's true, <laughs> huh? The interest rates of your children as they grow up and change in their cycles the rhythms within marriage. Everything is al- that is alive moves and expands and contracts in rhythm. 
So Zen Master Suzuki Roshi's description of life. He said, if you want the Buddhist teachings in the simplest fashion, three words, not always so. Whatever it is, not always so. Very deep, very simple. So put your hand on your belly. Take your right hand or left hand. Just place it on your belly for a moment, carefully. And feel in the palm of your hand what you experience. So you rest it there. Just that beautiful expansion and contraction like a balloon blows up and then it deflates. Just the rhythm of this body that opens to the air around us, inviting it in and then expels it. Some people say that being aware of their breathing is boring. You know, when you try it in the beginning of meditation, it doesn't work so well. Mm -hmm. And of course, the famous old story of the Zen master whose student said it's boring. grabbed the student and pushed his head under the water in the stream that ran through the monastery, held him down for a while, struggled to get up 30 seconds a minute, finally gets out. The Zen master just looked at him and said, boring, huh? Still boring? When you can see your breath is interesting like that, he said, then your meditation will go somewhere. So the breath is a universal practice because it shows us that our life is always moving, not always so as it was, alive, changing in its rhythms, opening, releasing. Oxygen kissing each cell awake, atoms dancing in orderly metabolism, interbeing with trees and great storms the dance of the air cycle, breathing the universe in and out again. This is what we are over and over. So the universal practice in many spiritual traditions of feeling, of censoring this mystery of the air, pranayam, breathing exercises in yoga, or zikr, Sufi, mystical chanting and singing and breath practices, Breath and prayer, Christian, all kinds. Release, refuge in the breath. Each breath, to feel the breath, is like feeling a prayer. Each breath is its own prayer. So in giving instructions to those who would awaken, one of the texts of the Buddha the the text, the sutra on the full awareness of breath, of life breath. When the full moon day arrived, the Buddha seated himself in a field under an open sky and looked out on the assembly of those men and women with him and said, my friends, followers of the way, the method or the practice of being fully aware of this life breath, it developed and nourished 
has great rewards, advantages, blessings. It will lead to the evolving or the opening of the factors of enlightenment to understanding and liberation of the heart. How does one do this? My friends, go into the forest to the foot of a tree, to any quiet place, and sit stably with dignity and presence, holding one's body still, gently, breathing in and out. One begins to know, breathing in a long breath, I breathe in a long breath. Or breathing out a short breath, I breathe out a short breath. Breathing in and out, being aware in this moment of the body and mind. So it's that simple. You want to awaken, the Buddha says, really to be present to that quality that I spoke of in the men's retreat of presence to our body, our mind, another person. To train that, to sense that presence in the midst of change. Become aware of this breathing. So let your eyes close for a moment. You don't have to move. Just stay where you are. Be relaxed. And let's be aware of the breathing for a moment in this way. Let the breath be simple. And first, breathe in a long breath and feel it as it fills your body. Breathing out a long breath, feel it as you release it. Then breathe in a short breath and out a short breath. And then thirdly, let yourself feel a natural breath. Sense what rhythm it is. Notice where you're feeling the breath. Swirling coolness in the nostrils or nose, tingling in the throat. Movement of the chest, rise and fall of the belly. Wherever you sense is fine. Now let's do it again. Stay with it. A long breath, a short breath, and a natural breath. And with each breath, surrender into it. Concentrate, relax. Do it one more time. This time, let go even more. Let the breath be deep and then short and natural. And with each breath, feel it in your body as it comes in and moves and changes. (coughs) Presence, attention. (sighs) Relaxing in the long breath. present for a short breath. Allowing a natural breath.
It's very simple, the attention. Just to feel our own life as it opens and moves and changes. Like the caress of a child. You know, part of what we did, we did some exercises of men just learning to be in the presence of other men and being comfortable looking at one another, speaking a few words, sitting in silence. At one point, we asked them just to reach over and touch the face of the man who's sitting opposite them. And amazing kinds of things came out after that as people spoke. Some men said, you know, it's been, been 50 years since another man touched my face. Not since I was a little boy. I remember my father once doing that or something, you know. And that's really, in being aware of the breath, it's that same quality, simplicity, that caress of the air in the body. And learning, there's a kind of healing in it. Now what happens? There you are, and you feel your breath for a little bit, and it's relaxing, it's soothing, it's opening. But of course what happens is, when you sit quietly, you do it for three breaths, or six, or nine breaths, And then all of a sudden you're gone, you know, working on the taxes again. (laughs) Or, you know, redoing that fight you had with your significant other, you know, or whatever it is. And so there's a training in it, like the image in my book and other teachers have used of training the puppy, just saying, stay, come back, feel a few more breaths. And you can get discouraged. Oh, I can, I sit and I feel three or four breaths and my mind goes away, or two breaths. I only feel one or two breaths. It's doing me no good. But ah, just one breath. Two breaths is wonderful. Then you go away, you come back. And maybe after you've meditated for some time, some weeks or months practice, instead of two breaths and then away 15 minutes and, you know, being here one or two percent of the time, you feel four breaths. <laughs> Right? And you're here 3% or 5%. And 95% you're just gonzo, lost. You say, well, this is no good. But actually you're here three times more than when you began, which is no small thing. Just to be here a breath, a moment, a step, a lot happens from that presence. In fact, one Zen master suggested that people in America should never sit longer than three minutes. <laughs> That's about our max here. So if your heart wanders, you bring it back a thousand times. It's the prayer. Just coming back, returning the puppy, stay, feel the next breath, training yourself. Now the next thing that the instructions of awareness of the breathing speak of is as one feels the breath, knowing this is a short breath or a long breath or a natural breath and so forth. One can go, I'm breathing in and aware of the activities of mind. I'm breathing out and aware of the activities of mind. I breathe in and the activities of mind become calmer or more peaceful. So again, What starts to happen, as soon as you feel this movement of body and air and breath, as soon as we're present through that, all the other things that are going on begin to show themselves. So your mind goes away, or you're angry, or you love something, or you want something, or your body hurts, or whatever it happens to be. All the dances, images come, the moods, the feelings, the 
their plans, memories. Breathing in and out, I notice, I discover the movements of mind that have been going on all day, but often unnoticed. Thoughts float in like clouds. Where do they come from? Anybody know? Where do your thoughts come from? TV, I know. (laughs) Sorry to say. Feelings come, fear comes, joy comes, frustration, longing, love, happiness. Where do they come from? Like the weather. Insight meditation, the practice that we're doing, is the practice of mindfulness, presence, attention, of breath and body, heart and mind. And there are a variety of ways of doing it. Sometimes we just begin with the breath and note other things that arise. That's very common. Another monastery, Tangpulu Monastery in Burma, instead of being aware of the breath as the central experience, you would go through the senses. Be aware of seeing for a few seconds. And then hearing, listen to what you hear. Then be aware of your body sitting, the sense of the breath in the body. Then maybe aware of the mind. Just noticing in this moment the play that makes up our life and resting in the center of it. The Christian Desert Fathers, there's a story of a man who said, when I sit, what happens is I just get filled with thoughts. I can't even do my prayers. And the abbot said, go up to the top of the hill. It's a windy day. Open your coat. See if you can catch the wind. Ha. Of course he couldn't. He said, all right, meditate like that now. Now when you sit, sit with your coat open and let the thoughts be like the wind and the breath be like the wind. And just make space and rest as you did on the top of the hill, letting it come and go as the clouds move by. So in this, in feeling the breath in the center of all things, we begin to notice the mind and thoughts and feelings and body. And with the opening of breath comes a spaciousness or a healing quality, which is that we can allow ourselves to hold in compassion with a kindness of heart all that arises, to rest with a compassion. So again, let your eyes close. We'll go a little further. And first, be aware of three breaths, if you can. A long breath, a short breath, and a natural breath. Relaxing into each softening, opening with each. And after the three breaths, then shift your awareness to your whole body and feel what's there in your body, the patterns of tension, holding, cool, warm, And as you feel your body, rest in that. Let the breathing be natural. And just be aware. Stay with what's strongest in your body. For the duration of several breaths, stay with it. Feel the place that's strongest. 
making space, letting it open, noticing what it does. Now let that go and back three more breaths. Let them just be natural breaths now. Feel the breath naturally in and out three times. And at the end of these three breaths, become aware of whatever state or mood or feeling is present. Peaceful, restless, anxious, happy, calm. And name it softly to yourself, whatever feeling there is. Peaceful, peaceful. Just name whatever it is. Give that space, the breath in the middle, And as you name it for several breaths, length of time, see what it does. Does it open? Does it get stronger? Does it disappear? Again, release that. Feel three more breaths, natural breaths, one more cycle. The breath breathes itself three times, knowing its rhythm, opening. After the third breath, back to the body, feeling the strongest sensation of your body, giving it space to open and change, sensing it with kindness. Letting that go again, three breaths, three natural breaths. And once again, note what state is present, calm, Restless, sad, happy. Name it softly to yourself. Sad, sad. And as you name the state, give it space to open. Change and see what it does. 
So it's that simple. Awareness of the breathing, like coming home into this body, and then opening from the breath to feel what's actually here in this moment. The energies of the physical body, tension, pain, cool, warm, whatever wants to open. The moods that are present, peaceful, frightened, happy, angry, loving, perhaps the thoughts that float through. A spacious attention that allows things to open and holds them in kindness, rests. How'd that work for you? Does it help to have it sort of guided along to stay present? Yeah, that's generally so. Did it, did it work to feel what feelings were there? Could you do that? And sometimes they're subtle. It's useful to notice them. Sometimes you feel your body and you realize, oh boy, I've got a headache or my back hurts. I didn't even notice it. I was listening. Oh, here I am. Remember. Remember me? This part of us. And then you just want to soften and say, yes, this too can be included in your kind attention. Now, one further element as we work with the breath and allow the breathing is that at some time, in its own sweet time, there can come a growing sense of calm and pleasure and joy in the breathing. Not right away, not if you're in the middle of something, you sit and what you feel is what you're in the middle of. But in the training of the breath, over weeks and months of really learning to be with one's breath. You can feel the breath pervade the body, bring joy and happiness. Again, from the instructions from the Buddha, after you know the long breath and the short breath, I'm breathing in and out, aware of the breath in my whole body. I breathe in and out and calm my body and mind. I breathe in and out and feel joyful. I breathe in and out and feel deep happiness. I breathe in and out and feel letting go. I breathe in and out and experience release, freedom, liberation. Sort of reminded of this from the monks who came a couple weeks ago who were talking a lot about this on the weekend. The art of concentration or presence, awareness, is not one of struggle, trying to make yourself be aware, put your mind on your breathing or your mantra or whatever sacred thing you're doing. It's really more learning to relax, to let go, to rest in one's being. It's not trying to solve problems, just like we listen to those stories without trying to solve them, but to be. A poem by Carl Sandburg called Breathing Tokens. You must expect to be in several lost causes before you die. Why blame your father and mother for your being born? How could they help what they were doing? And their fathers and mothers further back, can we say they could help what they were doing? Why rebuke old barns the wind has not yet blown away? Everybody is wrong and no one is to blame. There's no harm in trying. Nothing can harm you till it comes, after all. And those who never say, I'll try anything once, 
often try nothing twice, three times, <laughs> arriving late at the gate of dreams worth dying for. Breathing tokens. So part of the art of concentration is really one of letting go. These things come, you should do this, you have to be aware of that, remember all this business you have to do. Just letting go for a minute, relaxing. Let the body be filled with the breath. Let the breath calm your body. With each breath, there's a letting go. And there's a kind of cleansing quality like the breeze on the hilltop, the wind. In deep absorption in meditation, which comes to some people or at certain times on retreats or in stillness, the qualities of wholeness and concentration that arise are first a quality of attention that you might call wonder of just feeling the amazing fact of this breath and how it changes a little bit each breath. There's a kind of initial discovery and then a a sustained quality of amazement. What was that line from the poem a week or two ago? I was a bride married to amazement. So the first quality is wonder. And then with that comes rapture, it's said. Delight, lightness, tingling, happiness. And it's cellular, really. The breath breathes all the cells of your body, if you feel it. And then from that can arise in resting a deep, abiding happiness. Just a well-being that comes from being here and nowhere else. And finally, that leads in deepening, or together that leads to a very profound rest or equanimity a spaciousness or balance with no blame. No blame for anything. A wonderful state, no blame. It leads that spaciousness to a connection to the one who knows in us, to that place of wisdom. So there's a kind of shift. You feel your breath. And then in feeling your breath, you feel your whole body. Maybe just for a moment or two. And in feeling the ease of your body, there comes joy and happiness. And then it's not just the breath, but it's the rest and the joy itself. It's a delicate process. This mysterious air that pervades us, that opens the boundaries. Because when your eyes are closed, you don't even know really what's inside and out, do you, so much. The breath breathes itself, like it moves like a breeze. Here's a poem by... Mark O'Brien, who spent almost all of his life in an iron lung. He was six years old when he got polio 40-some years ago. To write his poetry, he strikes the keys of his computer with a mouth stick he clenches between his teeth. It's called breathing. Grasping for straws is easier. You can see the straws. This most excellent canopy, the air, look you, listen you, you press down upon me at 15 pounds per square inch like a dense, heavy, blue-glowing ocean supporting the weight of condors that swim in its churning currents. All I get is a thin stream of it, a finger's width of the rope that ties me to life as I labor like a stevedore to keep the connection. Water wouldn't be so circumspect. Water would crash in like a drunken sailor 
but air is prissy and genteel, teasing me with its nearness and pervading immensity. The vast circumambulant atmosphere allows me but half a cup of its billions of gallons and miles of sky. I inhale it anyway, knowing that it will hurt in the weary ends of my crumpled paper bag lungs, knowing that it will hurt and heal. So this mystery, this delicate process of life, of breathing, it's not just him in the iron lung, Mark, but for all of us in moments or days or maybe a lifetime, there is a longing to be supported, to be held, to be nourished, cradled, cared for. And we are, of course, by the air and the earth that we walk on. A longing for this well-being to fill the cells of our body, to be able to just let go ah, and rest. But letting go isn't so easy, is it? Hmm? I remember this Zen Sashin, a series of them. I sat with this wonderful old cantankerous Zen master, and we'd go in to see him for our son Zen, our interviews, four or five times a day, try to answer our koan. He gave me some koan, you know, like what is the sound of one hand clapping or something. I couldn't get the answer. I'd sit and I'd sit and I'd go in and I'd give him an answer, and he'd just shake his head, ring the bell, which means it's time to go. <laughs> say all come in again he look at me say oh you meditation teacher what's your answer <laughs> and he'd say no good <laughs> and it was a koan about letting go so I'm thinking alright how, how do I show him I can really let go <laughs> sitting there sitting time to go back in for the next interview I go in and I think, all right, I know how to answer this. He says, ask the koan, and you recite it to him. He recites it back. How do you let go completely or whatever? And I leap into the air, and then I fall down dead. Just like <laughs> and I just lie there, and I don't move for a really long time. And then he said, what is this? <laughs> and I said, um, I died. And he said, oh, Dead men not speak. And he rang his bell. <laughs> oh, got me angry. I went in and after that tried another answer. He said, 2%, right? <laughs> Too much ego. Oh, no good, right? I got so angry. I got more and more fear. I couldn't answer it. I went in. Finally, I looked at him, went in. He said, what's your koan? I wouldn't answer it. I went over and I put out the candle he was in front of and I looked him in the eye and I said, fuck you, Roshi. And I rang the bell and I walked out. <laughs> and as I got to the door, I heard the bell ring a second time. And all I heard him say was, mm, not the answer. <laughs> no good. can't win. So it's one thing to say, let go, right? And part of what the work of learning to breathe mindfully, to be aware of the breath, 
part of what that is is really a vehicle to learn to let go. It teaches us to let go. It's the art to take a breather, to step out of the traffic, to let go of all the plans and identity we have, to release the conflict, to let go, to stop the war. And whether it's in the arts, music, the breath is so important, you know, or whether you're in court testifying, or in parenting, or writing, or love, it doesn't matter, to not hold your breath, to be able to move with your breath, to be aware of your breathing, like beautiful, clear mountain air, you know, when you walk in the mountains. There comes any moment that you feel your breathing, a kind of letting go, a trust, a gratitude you can learn with this breath, to rest in the present, to float, as if you could in the water, which you do, only you float in the air. To learn this letting go doesn't mean that we don't respond, that you become like a sponge, you know, or a jellyfish or something like that. But that you can rest and allow the response to come from your heart, from your being, rather than react and be all tied up. That you can be in the moment like the sweet sleep of a baby, newborn, calm, joy, happiness, And then freedom comes. It breathes itself. Thoughts think themselves. And in the midst of that, there comes real happiness and well-being. Because any moment that you're really here is a moment of trust, a moment of letting go. And it's so wonderful to do that. So let's do one more short meditation. And this one, let's start with that simple chant, ah, that we use, which is the chant, the sound of letting go. itself. Feel it in your whole body. Let there be ease and calm. And the happiness of just being, a deep happiness of just letting go. It breathes itself. The heart beats itself. The water of the stream moves. 
let go. Let yourself be open like the breeze, like the sky. Feel the breath in the center of all of your life. The last poem is from Mary Oliver, who won the Pulitzer Prize for poetry. It's a poem entitled, The Buddha's Last Instruction. Make of yourself a light, said the Buddha before he died. I think of this every morning as the East begins to tear off its many clouds of darkness to send up the first signal, a white fan streaked with pink and violet, even green. An old man lay down between two sala trees, and he might have said anything over the fields. Around him, the villagers gathered, and stretched forward to listen. Even before the sun itself hangs, disattached in the blue air, I am touched everywhere by its ocean of yellow waves. No doubt he thought of everything that had happened in his difficult life. And then I feel the sun itself as it blazes over the hills like a million flowers on fire. Clearly I'm not needed. Yet I feel myself turning into something of inexplicable value. Slowly, beneath the branches of the sala tree, he raised his head and looked into the faces of that frightened crowd and said, Make of yourself a light. So there's something refreshing and wonderful about just learning to breathe. And it's not some special breath. Sometimes it's short or long or shallow. It doesn't matter. But just to feel the rhythm of life, to breathe whenever you're tired or in conflict or hurting or whenever you lose touch with yourself and the wonder of the world, to breathe to breathe, to lead you to awakening, to presence, and to freedom, to breathe in kindness and compassion. And so, just about time to end, I have a few announcements and a little prayer that we need to do for a few people that really need it tonight. But we have about, oh, just a few minutes before that, prayer and the last announcement. Does anything want, anyone want to say anything about breathing? What do you know about breathing? What have you learned about it? What would you ask about it? Please. Actually, I have a question about sleeping. Um, sometimes I don't know whether I'm asleep or not. You mean when you're meditating and sitting here? 
Excuse me? Yeah, that's my question. Uh-huh. So you sit and you don't know if you're asleep or not. Or not. What happens? What's it like? Well, the way I'm asleep, my head drops. Right. That's the, that's the moment of sleep. Yeah. So it's not that moment then. Right? But I'm just so relaxed that I'm sure What are you aware of in being so relaxed? Are you aware of the breathing some in that? Or do you feel just a sense of relaxation? You're probably not asleep if your body's erect. One of the qualities of sleep consciousness is that it doesn't have the power to keep your body erect. So that that nod is an indication you really had a moment, a quick moment of sleep. But there's sort of a half-sleep state you can get into. Um, and in some ways it's beautiful. One of the teachers I studied with had the queen mother come to, as his student shortly before I practiced with him to learn meditation. And she did a couple months of meditation training with him, Vipassana, trying to learn all these Buddhist things. In the end, she, he asked you know, kind of what she'd learned. She said, I didn't learn very much really. But she said, I learned to relax with my breath and now I fall asleep at night. And she said, you know, because the current king of Thailand, um, his brother had been the king before him, and his brother was murdered in the palace, and it's not clear who did it. It's like one of those stories that you all read in childhood. Well, it happened. This was their mother, their mom. And since that time, she wasn't sleeping well. And she said, I don't know what else the Buddha has to teach us, she said. But just the fact that I can rest is a blessing. Thank you. She gave him a big gift, some monastery or something for that. <laughs> so I don't want to speak against the sleeping. Sometimes when you sit, your body just says to you, you know, I need to rest. If you slept for a while or you feel that it's very restful to the point where you lose your attention, then sit up a little straighter or open your eyes or even stand and breathe some just to bring a little more of that sense of aliveness to it. But it's fine to have periods where it's very still. It's quite fine. Enjoy it. Please. So, attention and concentration and vigilance and like intense awareness. Mm -hmm. And then what you're talking about, like just kind of melting in. Relaxing, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But, like, they're both going on, it seems. They might. And uh, the question is about really the two, the, the two different versions of attention, that which you call vigilance, intense attention, and that which is a more relaxed attention. You said they're both going on at the same time. Is that right? Well, also... To use those words as metaphor for breath, too. You could have a vigilant breath or a pranayama or like that that drives processing, energetic processing. And then you could have like the processes just driving the breath. There are, in what you say, there are really two complementary directions. 
There's one in which you make a great effort and you either control your breath as in pranayama or you make the effort to really concentrate like I did on that koan so frustratingly or whatever. And out of that great effort at some point with the koan, what happens is that you surrender, you just give up. And in that surrender, something new opens. So that's one direction. And, and it's useful. Another and one that I find is more helpful for most people in the West, for us, is really to learn to let go and not to try to direct the breath, but to feel that the breath breathes itself. And in that breathing, to begin to sense that the world moves itself and to find that place of trust or gratitude or rest um, in one's being. They both have their value.